and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. This is a statement that has changed the course not only of church history, but changed the course of world history. This year we celebrate the 500-year anniversary of the start of what has been called the Reformation. It was a movement that was seeking to reform the church as it was in the early 1500s. There was a German monk by the name of Martin Luther who was very concerned over the moral and doctrinal state of the church in his day. In the year 1517, on October the 31st, he nailed 95 concerns, became known as the 95 Theses, to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now to some, this might be simply historical trivia. I was a history major in college, and so obviously I love studying history. We were talking about that in our home this week, and how some in my family don't share the same love for history that I do. And I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with y'all. This is great stuff. But was this just simply historical trivia, what happened in 1517 in Germany? Or are these important lessons that deeply affect the modern church and us here today at Ephesus Baptist Church in Winchester, Kentucky? Starting today and over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series titled Remembering the Reformation as we come upon the 500-year anniversary of this powerful movement. I hope that we see it is not just something that is relegated to the pages of a dusty history book, but I hope that we understand how deeply this movement and the truths that it stood upon, how deeply and profoundly these things affect not only our walk with Jesus, but our mission to reach the lost for Him as well. With that in mind, it is my prayer that we recognize and hold tightly to the eternal truths that were passed down to us by the faithful saints that have gone before us. We stand in a long and glorious line of men and women and boys and girls who have sought to follow Jesus faithfully and wholeheartedly for some 2,000 years. And therefore, we must recognize and hold tightly to these eternal truths that they have passed down to us so that we might stand thereupon and so that we might pass these truths down to those who come after us. Let me invite you to stand if you're able this morning reverence for the reading of God's holy word I'll be reading from 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 and the apostle Peter writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of undisciplined men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we do thank You for the blessings of the moment, the blessings of today, the blessings of this worship experience that we have already enjoyed so wonderfully. Father, more than just the blessings of now, we thank You for those who have gone before us, those who have stood upon the eternal truths of Your Holy Word, those who have taken courageous stands throughout history and throughout even our own lives so that we might gather here this morning and open this Word that is before us to study it and by Your grace to seek to live it out. Father, we pray that not only our minds would be informed today, but we pray that our hearts and our lives would be transformed by the power of Your grace and for the purpose of Your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's easy for us to see that throughout the pages of the Bible and throughout history, God has chosen to raise up certain individuals, often ordinary people, folks just like you and I. God has chosen to raise up individuals to perform mighty tasks when the time called for it. Martin Luther, as we have referenced a while ago, was such a man very imperfect as we see from studying his life and even reading some of his writings. Imperfect yet, he was obedient to God's will for him. As challenging and as difficult and as scary as it was for him to take that stand, by God's grace, there he stood. And by God's grace, here we stand heirs to this wonderful movement of the Reformation. And and we find ourselves at a point in time today where culture is where it is and where, sadly, the church is where the church is. And we can't help but wonder if it is time for God to do another movement to reform. Is it time for God to raise up individuals, raise up even churches to take a stand so that we might reform the state of His church by His grace and so that through His power we might begin to reform the culture, society that is all around us. I think as we look backwards upon that movement some 500 years ago, we learn some valuable lessons for us today. We could find what I believe is a recipe, as as simplistic as that sounds, a, a recipe for reformation. What did God do then through those individuals, and, and what might God do now through us as Christians as we seek to follow His truth? Well, the first thing I believe we need is we need conviction, not confusion. Conviction not confusion. Now, typically when we think about conviction, the first thing that pops to mind is the guilt 
that we feel over sin. And that is an important aspect of conviction. But conviction in this context deals more with, with certainty, of, of being sure of something, of, of knowing something beyond a shadow of a doubt. We sang a while ago, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able. That, that's conviction. That's the kind of thing that you stake your claim on. That is, that is the hill on which to die on. Conviction. Things that we are settled on. And when it comes to studying Christian doctrine, we have, we have discovered even through our last lesson, uh, lessons through Second Thessalonians, there are some doctrines of Christianity that are a little more fuzzy to us than others. There are some things that we can agree to disagree on and still call ourselves Orthodox Christians. However, there are other things that are non-negotiable. There are other certain core doctrines that, that flow from the Word of God that we dare not compromise. And the Reformers of the 1500s recognized some of these things. And beginning... Tonight and over the next five weeks, we're going to have a Sunday evening in-depth study of these core doctrines. There are five things in Latin. They refer to them as the five solas. Solas. You see the word solo, alone. There are five things that the Reformation really rallied upon and certain things that we today as believers need not, need not be drifting away from these convictions first of all scripture alone scripture alone the latin phrase is sola scriptura what that means is god's revealed word we believe that god has spoken we believe this is his inerrant infallible inspired word if if it is god's word then god's revealed word alone is the sole authority for our faith and our practice for what we believe, our, our, our doctrines, our beliefs, they flow solely from God's revealed Word. And our lifestyle, our, our behavior, our, our practice as Christians flows from God's Scripture alone. We need nothing more than His Word to be our sole authority for faith and practice. Secondly, grace alone. Grace alone. That means that salvation and every blessing that we receive from God is an undeserved gift from the Father above. That everything that we have, every blessing, and especially our salvation, it is all a gift from a loving God. Nothing that we do to add to or to complete God's gracious work for us. Grace alone. Thirdly, faith alone. Faith alone, Latin, sola fide. Faith alone. That means the only way to be, to be declared just in God's sight is by believing and trusting in, surrendering to his revealed truth. It is faith alone that makes us 
declared righteous. It is faith alone that allows us to be declared just in the sight of a holy God. Faith alone. Fourthly, Christ alone. Solus Christus. It is Christ alone. His redemption is the only means to our salvation and our eternal security. That because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, His person and His work, it is Christ alone as the sole means of our redemption. Nothing anyone or anything else has done to save us. Christ alone. Finally, glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. He deserves all the credit if it is all the result of His gracious work, then all the glory belongs to Him and Him alone. Now, I've referenced earlier the uh, incident I had with my blurred vision over this past week. And if you've learned anything about me, it's just whenever things happen in my life, I find a way to, to tie that into a sermon illustration. And so maybe that's the whole reason why God did that, to give me this illustration this morning. I don't know. But anyway, what was going on was my two eyes were out of focus. One was farsighted. The other was not. And it got to the point where they were not working together anymore. My two eyes lacked a single focus. And over the course of church history leading up to the Reformation, the church had lost focus. Instead of being singly focused on these doctrines, it became Scripture, not Scripture alone, but Scripture and the authority of the established church. Not just grace alone, but grace and works, faith and works, being declared just in God's sight, not only by trusting in Him, but also working out our penance. It was not just Christ alone, it was Christ and our efforts in the church to keep us saved. And as a result, the glory did not go to God alone, because if it were God and these things, then the glory would not solely belong to Him. We need conviction. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it and we need to be firm on these truths. These truths that God Himself has given to us. We need conviction, not confusion. Secondly, if we're going to see reformation, we need courage and not conformity. Courage. Courage and not conformity. We see Martin Luther was a man of boldness, a man of courage. As difficult as it was for him to make that stand and the pressures that were bearing down upon him, he stood courageously. And we need men and women and boys and girls like that today. Courage. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul reminds Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline, a sound mind. God's not given us a spirit of fear. If we are afraid 
to stand on our convictions that fear does not come from God. That fear to take a stand for righteousness does not come from the Lord. That fear comes from another source. That fear comes from the enemy who wants us to conform, who wants us to be swayed by the pressures around us. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, but also of love. So we're going to focus on here in a minute especially. And a sound mind. Luther's boldness is not the only such that we have seen throughout history. Nor in the pages of Scripture we see examples of that. We need courage despite political pressure. Political pressure. Back in Daniel chapter 3 we see the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king had declared, when the music sounds, I want everyone to bow down and worship the statue. And these three boys had a decision to make. Would they cave to the political pressure? Because the word from the king was, whoever does not bow down and worship will be executed, be thrown into the fiery furnace. Read in Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. We need to be people who are courageous despite political pressure. God's sovereign hand guides us in these moments. But also we need courage despite social pressure. Social pressure. We need to be willing to stand against the current of culture that is seeking to lead us and drift us away from God towards the ways of sin. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect brothers and sisters is culture trying to conform us is society trying to shape our beliefs and our behaviors of course it is it's up to you and I to make that courageous stand against political pressure despite social pressure but even sometimes despite religious pressure we need to make the decision amongst ourselves as Christians and as a church, are we seeking to please God or are we seeking to please man? Do we follow the Word of God or do we follow the religion and the regulations that are made up by mankind? The apostles had to make that stand in Acts chapter 5. They were arrested for preaching Jesus and they were told, you're no longer allowed to preach Jesus. This was being done not just by the political authorities. This was being done by the religious authorities of the time. You're not allowed to preach Jesus anymore. 
they had to make a stand. We read that in Acts 5, verses 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And then after the council conferred amongst themselves, we read in verses 40 through 42, they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. They, they whipped them. And ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for taking the stand for Jesus. And every day, verse 42, in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Despite religious pressure, they took a stand courageously to please God rather than men. When the pressure is on, some some wilt under pressure. We see this in the world of sports. We see it in politics. You see it in the classroom, in the workplace. When the pressure is on, some people wilt. However, others rise to the occasion. We point to Martin Luther then in 1517 and the years following that. He was a man who stood under pressure despite political, social, religious pressure. He stood courageously. What about you? What about me? It's easy to say, yeah, I would do that too. I'm not going to let anybody push me off of my, my faith in, in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let anyone stop me from living or witnessing for Christ. But when the pressure is on, how do we respond? It's easy to say one thing. We need to be Believers who are praying earnestly, God, if it ever came down to that moment, I humbly pray, God, you would give me the grace and the courage to stand. Because if I had to manufacture that myself, Lord, I'm not sure I could do that. We need to humbly seek God's grace for those moments. And as we see the state of our nation and the state of our world, those times, they may be a coming where you and I are called to make that stand. We need courage. For the Reformation, we need courage and not conformity. Finally, this is a point that sometimes I think is overlooked and then sadly to the detriment of the church. We need compassion, not callousness. Compassion, not callousness. If you're filling in your blank, you don't know how to spell that. C-A-L-L. -L. 
O-U-S-N-E-S-S. If you're like me, you can't have a blank un unfilled. Your OCD will just drive you nuts. <laughs> By the way, I usually try to put these up on the website, or Miss Rhonda helps me do that, Rhonda Jagerian, gets these outlines up on the church website following uh, the messages. So throughout the week, you can check. If you didn't get a blank, you can check there. We need compassion and not callousness. By that I mean we need proper doctrine that fuels us with the proper heart to love one another and to love this world and seek to be Jesus to people. You see, if all we're doing is just filling our heads with knowledge, Scripture says knowledge puffs up. We begin to adopt this mindset that we are somehow holier than thou. We're somehow better than those heathens out in the world, those depraved, wretched sinners that they are. And we become like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who begins to lift his hands to heaven and say, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that man over there. I'm so thankful that I fulfill my religious obligations to you. If, if, if by reformation and courage that all that we mean by that is just adopting doctrines and beliefs and courageously standing and then looking down our noses at everybody else and bullying others who don't believe the same things we believe, we have somehow missed the point of Christianity. We need compassion even towards those who do not believe, especially towards those who do not believe these things. Not callousness. Proper doctrine combined with a proper heart. Why is that? Because it's our mission. Our mission, 1 Peter 3.15, says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That means being sure of what you believe. That's the conviction. And it means being courageous, being willing to offer that defense to anyone who asks you. But notice the last part of it. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Reverence towards God, but gentleness towards those that we are answering compassion that's our mission God has given us the gospel not to beat people up with it he's given us the gospel so that we can bring that to bear on their lives and and call them compassionately and out of love to receive Jesus and be saved rather than be condemned it's our mission gentleness, compassion. It's our motivation. Our motivation. Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16. Paul says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We need conviction not to be blown off the right path. And then he says, but speaking the truth 
in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him, speaking of Christ, who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes growth of the body for the building of itself in love. Speaking the truth in love, our motivation is to perform the ministry that God's called us to do. But our motivation is to mature in Christ. We do that by speaking the truth. We do it in love. Too many individuals or churches, they want to emphasize the one to the exclusion of the other. We're all about the truth. We're all about the truth and the hell with the rest of y'all. Truth! And there's no love then others are all about the love to the point where they, they compromise the truth and, and they just say, we, we receive everybody. God receives everybody. God accepts everybody just as you are. Just do what you want. Live the way you want. Believe the way you want. Just, just somehow love God. Love, or just love people. That's all God wants. God wants you happy. And, and, and loving, accepting one another, tolerating one another. And there's no truth. There's no need, there's no sin and the need to repent and there's no need to come to the cross and, and cry out for God's mercy and, and there's no need to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. There's, there's no need for, for lifestyle change and there's no need for holiness. It's a false gospel. We need truth and love. Why? Because of our model our model it's Jesus Christ is it not Mark chapter 6 verse 34 when Jesus went ashore he saw a large crowd he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to what teach them many things truth you think Jesus taught truth to them folks you think Jesus sugar-coated the truth at all? That, uh, you know what, yeah, you've done some bad things, but it's all right, you know. God just sweeps that under the rug, you know. You, at least you're not as bad as those other folks. You think Jesus taught that? Or do you think Jesus taught the truth that we have all sinned against God and deserve God's judgment? But do you think Jesus taught the truth in love, it said with compassion. He was filled with compassion. His heart broke. He saw those lost folks out there, saw that great crowd, and he looked upon them and thought to himself, if no one reaches out to them, they're all going to hell. And so in compassion, he taught them truth. He's our model for this, folks. When we come to thinking about why do we need to reform Culture. Why, why should the church be reformed? It's because we've gotten away from these essential truths, these, these necessary doctrines, and we've watered down the gospel. We've either compromised truth or we've compromised love. And Meanwhile, Jesus is there on the pages of Scripture standing out for us, saying, be like me. And so you and I, as we think about this, idea of the Reformation. We need to recognize 
and hold tightly to the eternal truths that have been passed down to us by faithful saints. We need to recognize and hold tightly to these things because culture and because the world is going to try to persuade us to let go. And it's trying to pull our hands apart one finger at a time. But we've got these five solas, these five core truths that we dare not be moved from. Our church motto, shortly after I got here, I prayed over this and God kind of showed me that this was the, the identity of our church, our, the culture of our church. You know, Each church has its own personality and identity. It's, each church is a living organism. Each church is not an organization, but it's a living body. God revealed to me our church motto is where yesterday meets today to impact eternity. Where yesterday meets today. I thought about that in many ways, our church is old-fashioned, and I think that's a good thing. In many ways, our church is old-fashioned. It's like stepping back in time, a breath of fresh air to come here and be in just a, a traditional old-school environment, but to have people that are genuine and people that love you and care about you and people that know you and, and, and community and family these are old-fashioned qualities that I think our church should never, ever let go of. It's part of what makes Ephesus, Ephesus. Because we embrace the yesterday aspect of being, in many ways, an old-fashioned church in a good way. But at the same time, it's where yesterday meets today. And, and we're a church that's not afraid of technology. We're not a church that's afraid of change and bringing new things in as evidenced by the fact that we're moving towards getting these televisions mounted on the wall and we've got this new laptop and hopefully we'll be able to implement some of this new technology to enhance our worship services and, and be able to do things to help connect and reach others outside the church. Where yesterday, the old-fashioned aspect meets the, the day, the modern elements to, to impact eternity. We want to be a church that's old-fashioned and modern so that people can get saved. Yesterday, today, eternity. However, there's another aspect to that church motto. Yesterday. We're going back not just to 1848. We're not going back to early 1800s. We were at the Sunday School Conference yesterday and there was a church we were, were meeting in that was even older than ours. The church I was pastoring before I came here was founded in 1802 and there's churches that have been founded in the 1700s, even in our own county. But we're going back even further than that. Yesterday, we're going all the way back to Christ and the Apostles' Doctrine. The yesterday that we never want to let go of is the gospel message. The yesterday that we dare not let go of and compromise and forget is the truth that everyone is a sinner, that everyone needs Christ, and that Christ has died to bring us redemption. Christ has died and risen again to give us hope, to give us life, to give us eternity. Yesterday, we cannot forget that. 
But we take that yesterday message of the gospel and we bring it to bear on the culture today. Yesterday meets today. We bring men and women, boys and girls, into touch with that gospel of Jesus Christ from yesterday and show them how it is relevant still today. Because people today need Christ just as the people from yesterday did, just as the people tomorrow will. Where yesterday meets today to impact eternity, the only way eternity is impacted is if we bring the message today and sometimes bringing the message to today means we change our methods. We embrace technology and, and things of that. We try new programs. We try this or that. We try things that aren't sin. We try things to bring the message to bear on souls today. Keep the message. We change our methods in hopes that eternities are changed. And we think about this Reformation and we think about what happened 500 years ago. Why does it matter today? It's because the things that were going on then where there was moral failure and where there was spiritual failure, these things are rampant all around us today, even in the church. And the men and women that God used to bring that Reformation about are examples for us of what God can and will do through us. But we need conviction, certainty, what we believe, not confusion. We need courage to make that stand, not conformity, being pressured into being something God does not want us to be. We need compassion. We need to care about people enough to want to reach them for Jesus, not callousness, being self-righteous, cold-hearted to the needs of those around us, our goal, after all, our goal is to win souls, not arguments. Our goal is to reach lost souls for Jesus, not to somehow come off as smarter than or wittier than, more logical than those around us. We can't argue people into heaven. We bring these truths that were passed down to us from faithful saints 500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. We take these truths that were once and for all delivered to the saints. Jude 3. We take these things. We hold on to them tightly. And in compassion, we reach out to embrace and bring others into a relationship with Christ by God's grace and for God's glory alone. Let's pray together.